0: Thank you so much, Ben and worship team, and again, really good to see you guys this morning. Thanks for singing and, and leading uh, me in worship in much regard this morning. By the way, if you're interested in learning more about the factory and how to partner there and how to connect there, they're always looking for uh, volunteer staff uh, to help. And so Carlo is pictured there. Maybe that could be you. They also have someone who's about 80 years old there, so age is not an issue. All right. By the way, that's where I met my wife. I'm just saying. That's an opportunity if you're looking. All right. Anyhow. Hey, we're in part five of a um, seven-part series called For God So Loved the Terrorist, and uh, this is a book study on the book of Jonah. If you're just joining us this morning, welcome, glad to have you. If you're listening for the first time online later, thank you for doing that. Glad to have you listening with us. And we are uh, tracking in this book that is typically a children's book and a children's story, and we're asking adult questions of a children's book, typically, right Now, it's a Bible book, so it's everybody's book, not just a kid's book, but it often is reserved for children and telling the story of Jonah and the whale, and we kind of make it cutesy and artsy, and I understand why. But now, if you're listening, many of you sitting here, at least listening are adults, or you're old enough as kids to kind of get that we maybe we should ask some different questions about the book of Jonah. In week one, we asked some really big adult questions about the book of Jonah. If you want to go back to that, you can listen to that. And the question on the table then was, did this really happen? Or is this just a story? tried to cover that that morning. Essentially, my point that morning was this, that one way or the other, I'm going to teach the book from the angle of the end of the book, which is the point. The question that God asks, should I not have compassion on the city of Nineveh, is the point, in my opinion, regardless of whether this is a literal historical event book or an extended parable book. Either way, the point holds the issue of God's compassion coming through is the story. Now, I asked the question in this series, what do we do when God's compassion outpaces ours? And I kind of said, it's always going to happen. If that God is God and we are not, then he is always going to outpace us. So what do we do with that? So we've been asking that question. Now this morning, we find ourselves in the story in a very unique place. If you know the story at all, you kind of know the big picture of what happened. And here's where we are really briefly. Jonah, um, in chapter one, he heard the message from God, go to Nineveh. And Jonah was like, I don't think I want to go there. I'm going to go somewhere else. So he goes the opposite way. To Tarshish gets on a boat, and I think you know what happens on the boat. This big storm comes and it freaks these experienced sailors out. They get all panicked. Literally, this boat is going to break apart. They they pray to all their gods and ask, What should we do? The lot falls on Jonah, and Jonah says, Yep, it's my fault. Chuck me into the sea and it will be calm. And the sailor's like, I don't know if we should, but I guess we have no other choice. They throw him overboard. He disappears into the dark, raging sea. Meanwhile, the sailors realize, whoa, the storm calmed down. That may have turned out for our benefit. And so then they worship the God that told them to throw Jonah overboard. Meanwhile, Jonah gets whoop, swallowed up by a big fish, and he's hanging out in the belly of a whale on the dark, acid, junky stuff of a fish. He's having his own worship service in there. He's thanking God. And in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, this incredible poem, incredibly beautiful poem, which evidently he composes while in the middle of a fish. Anyway, I could not do that in good circumstances, let alone in the middle of the belly of the fish when I couldn't see anything. After a while, in the fish, three days, and God says to the fish, throw up Jonah onto the dry land, and out comes Jonah on the dry land. Smelling, stinky, you know, whatever. I mean, he's got the whole nine yards coming out of the belly of the fish. And he lands on dry land, and now he's asked for a second time, will you please Jonah, go to the city which I have called you. Go to Nineveh. And so Jonah, this solitary figure, says yes. And he's walking toward Nineveh, which we covered last week, was this massive city with uh, 55 square miles in circumference. Is The outer wall, the inner wall of eight miles in circumference, is 100 feet high and 50 feet deep. And here comes Jonah walking to the capital of the world power at the time of Assyria, going into their capital of Nineveh and saying, hey, 40 days, and Nineveh will be overturned. That's all I got to tell you. I'm not going to tell you who I am, what authority I come with, or whether this is even going to happen, nor what you have done. Just know, 40 days, and it's over. It's craziness what happened. It's insanity what happened. In Jonah chapter 3, the story records that all of Nineveh, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth and repented. It's craziness. I covered it last week how insane that is to have soldiers who would fight and put their life on the line for their god Asher all of a sudden to be like you know what that was a bad idea we should repent all of us right now all of us to have all the teachers and philosophers say you know what today hey we were wrong we've got to repent like all of us today have all the government officials in one day who respond to the king who's on the king's command could be killed. All of them on that same day say, you know what? This is a bad idea to keep doing our thing. Today we need to repent and turn to the God of Israel because the guy with the stinky breath and the stinky body with the fish came and said in five words in Hebrew and we're done in 40 days, so why not? Let's all turn to God. It's insane to think about an entire system doing that, but that is exactly what is recorded in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And so this morning, if you can imagine this kind of great cacophony of sound and events just banging from one wall to the other in the town of Nineveh. This is throwing Nineveh up in a massive upheaval. And all this activity happening in the city of Nineveh, in a city where it took three days for a message to get to the whole city, in one day... They all repent. It's craziness. So we move the action of the story from the streets of Nineveh right up into the privacy of the king's chambers. And in that move, we go from a global response to God's judgment to a very personal response to God's judgment. And because it's a personal response, we see the response of the king of Nineveh. Because it's a personal response, I'll tell you now that This message is moving very personal for me and for you, I hope, that this application that I'll get to in a little bit is more personal than global. And so I invite you in your heart even now to be open asking God as we walk through this, God, is there something I need to learn from a personal response of the king? Because we're moving from the busyness of the streets into the chambers of the king of Nineveh. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to be starting at verse 6 of the text. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. There's a Bible near you, in the pew around you, and that is our gift to you. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, we'd be glad to have you take that with you. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, uh, and I'm reading from the NIV. Jonah's a small little book. It's a prophet. Um, he, well, he's a prophet in the Old Testament, so you, you might flip right by him if you, you uh, just flip through your Bible. So Feel free to use the table of contents to find Jonah, and Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. All right, Jonah chapter 3. Again, I'm going to go just about verse by verse here, so just be ready for that kind of stop-and-go traffic feel uh, of our reading of our text this morning. Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 to 10, beginning at verse 6. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Okay, pause it there. Again, amazing, amazing stuff to think about. This also is craziness. First of all, the king is responding to what the people are doing. He's not actually leading. He's just responding. It's like, hey, everybody else is doing it. It's a good idea if I should lead them. Now's the time to lead. Secondly, can you imagine? I don't, has anyone noticed that we're in a presidential election cycle? Okay, so can you imagine any of the candidates doing this? tomorrow D- taking off their royal robes so to speak taking off their interest in gaining power and authority in our country sitting down in the ashes setting aside their egos setting aside their desire to win and prove themselves awesome setting aside all, can you imagine this happening in our country can you imagine this happening in Nineveh at all? Can you imagine this happening at all? We have a king who's been handed power by his father and by his grandfather and by, by his grandfather, whose job it was to continue the line, like never to be wrong, to be impressive, to be intimidating, to lead a country that absolutely is no question the most powerful nation in the world with a little bit of an attitude to go along with that. And if you're not sure about that, we will make sure that we will torture you and kill you in a terroristic way just to prove the point that we are better and stronger than any of you. And by the way, we will never apologize for what we do because we're right. (laughs) And the king... Who is the symbol of all things, Assyrian? The king, as if it's nothing, takes off his royal robes, sits down in the ashes, puts on sackcloth, and he's like, hey, it's not about me. There's a bigger picture here. I need to humble myself. It starts immediately craziness. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine our presidential candidates humbling themselves to that degree? Can you imagine doing that yourself? Because our pride is just as strong, and it starts immediately. This pride gets set aside, and he does it very willingly. Verse 7, and then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. It reads this way, by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. First of all, that's already happening, buddy. You're a little late. (laughs) They're already doing that. But secondly, it's interesting that he says let all the animals, not just the people. Like, this is a a full-on... readiness. Uh, We may see around here when a really bad winter storm is coming, you you might see the horses in the pastures of the fields gotten ready for a really brutal storm with an extra, I don't know what it's called, all right, blanket horse warmer thing, all right, on it. Pardon my uh, ignorance on that, Okay. But in other words, if the judgment of the snowstorm is coming on us and the animals, let's get the animals ready for the snowstorm too. Same thing here. Like if the judgment of God is coming on humans and animals, let's get the animals ready for the judgment of God too to make sure that we show that we're totally ready and you know, wanting to equip everybody for this. So that's kind of what the spirit of this thing is. Like let's get everybody ready, a full-on readiness for what's going to happen. And then he says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. I'm just telling you, this is insane. this is so crazy. This is crazy. Let everyone call urgently on. He- the Hebrew word here is Elohim. Let everyone call on Elohim, and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So here, here's, here's the king who's the, the regent. Um, of the gods of Assyria, and his job is to protect the interest of Asher, A S H U R. Asher is the Assyrian god. Like everything that Assyria does is for Asher. We defend Asher's reputation, we defend his honor, like we fight with vengeance for Asher. This is what we do. And underneath Asher are all kinds of demigods or secondary gods underneath Asher. Uh, underneath Asher. In Nineveh, there are two main temples that would reside for kind of gods right below Asher. One would be Ishtar, the god of, uh, or goddess of love and war. It's strange to mix them together, but whatever. Right? So Ishtar has a temple in Nineveh. And in that, you have people who are priests to the temple of Ishtar. Right? And then you also have... Uh, Nabu, that might be a Star Wars planet, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, but that actually is an ancient Assyrian god, the god of the the sciences and wisdom. Okay, And perhaps that, that was there first. Anyway, you have these gods and you have these temples set up in Nineveh for different gods. And underneath that, inside of the, the temple for Ishtar and Nabu, you also have other gods inside of those temples, just to cover it all. And so here, you've got to understand, here's the king who represents worship in the entire nation. And what he says is, let's all call, here's a new one, let's all call on Elohim. Like, weren't Weren't you supposed to say let's all call on Asher, Mr. King? Like, that's who you represent, right? Like, isn't that what we've been doing for generations? Like, you don't. What do you what do you mean? We don't have a temple for Elohim. We don't have priests to Elohim. You want all these priests and all these temples to, to change, like all of a sudden? You want, let's all call on Elohim? What do I you mean? That's the God of the nation of. Israel, like we've dominated them. What do you mean that we worship them? And he says, let's give up our, our violence. That's a good plan. If you're going to get overthrown, you think now's a good time to do that. Let's give up our violence. And it's not because all of a sudden, here's what, it's not because all of a sudden um, he has a conscience about violence. It's because he says, you know what? Asher has called us to this kind of violence to respect, to honor him, to show other countries, that we are the best and that he is our God. And so if Asher requires that, let's give up the things related to Asher, which would be violence and things of that nature and wrongdoing. Let's give up all of that and let's move to Elohim. I'm telling you, it is insane what is happening here. It is craziness, not just around the the capital of Assyria, but in the heart of a king who has been raised to be ruthless for his cause, who's been raised to be power-hungry, who's been raised to believe he is a God himself. To throw off the royal robes and get into the ashes and say, hold on, let's all worship Elohim. It's craziness. It's craziness. But but the king knows something. He knows something about the nature of this God. He knows, look at verse 9, this God is a compassionate God. Look at what he says in verse 9. Who knows? God may yet relent. Elohim. Elohim may yet relent. And with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Isn't that amazing? It's almost like you're saying, that. who knows? Um, the Cubs might win the World Series. I know it's a long shot. I know it's a long shot. It's possible that it could actually happen. It's been 108 years, but it could actually happen. And what do you know? It happened. Who knows? I've heard of this God who has a reputation for mercy. I also know that he has a power, I think, but we've been pretty strong, and I think maybe this is the time where we might need to actually call on something I think I know about this God, that he is a God of mercy. Who knows? This is a Hail Mary this is an immaculate reception moment. Like, is that actually going to happen? This is a, hey, maybe it's the Cubs year this year. Who knows? Maybe. Like, I don't know if it's really going to happen, but who knows? We've got to at least try. Maybe, maybe the compassion of God will change his judgment on us. And here's what I think he knows. He doesn't put it this way. But in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 2, Paul, the apostle, puts it this way. And he says, Do not forsake the mercy of God. Do you not know that it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? Do you not know that? Do you not know that it's not actually the judgment of God that leads you to repentance? But do you not know that it is the kindness of God that leads you and draws you to repentance? So the king picks that up, whether he can verbalize it or not, he does. He picks up the compassion of God that draws him in his heart to want to turn from that which he has so proudly hung on to, which has so deeply been a part of his identity for so long. He turns to this God who, yes, has promised to judge, but also is a God known to be slow to anger and abounding in love. And a God of compassion. And so the king turns and he's like, ah, who knows? Maybe that compassion piece can play in our favor. And if you know what happens, God does actually that in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. All right. And th- that's our text for this morning. All right. So God turns, he has compassion, On the people. Now, here's the deal. When I come to the Scriptures, and I hope when you do too, like I always want to hold a mirror up in my heart and in yours and say, what can I learn? (laughs) What should I do with what I've heard? The Word of God, I believe, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, as it says. And so it cuts between bone and marrow. It helps us know how to react and how to respond to God. And so as we sit here, here's, here's what I never want us to become, because I don't ever want this for me, and I hope it's never for you. I don't want us to ever become good at coming and listening, rather than coming and doing. Coming and listening is the easy part. <laughs> but I hope as you sit here listening... As you hear this, maybe if you're listening later, that you're listening, yes, it's good. You're hearing good, but I don't ever want us to be comfortable as if that's mission accomplished. Like I hope you don't come to church just to listen. I I know many of you don't, but I don't know. Sometimes I can just roll right into this week after week after week, listening, 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 listening. What's next? And so I just want to hold the mirror up and invite you to do go a little bit further with me and do come, not just come and listen, but come and do a little bit this morning. Okay, so if you can give me. If you can give me a little permission to meddle a little bit in our hearts, Um, you get to decide if you really want to give me that permission, but I'm going to say, I'm going to try to come that way a little bit, a little bit of meddling this morning to try to hold the mirror up a little bit closer to our soul on this issue okay, of the repentance of the King and what we can learn from that for ourselves. And by the meddling, I hope you see it in a positive way because I think... I intend it to be at least rather than hurtful uh, for sure. Um, So here's the deal. I think all of us have a little part of our heart, a little part of us that we don't always like other people to see. And that just, I think, humanity. There's a part of my life that I would prefer that you not know about. Maybe it's things in my thoughts or things in my actions that I do alone, you know, or maybe it's things that, that I have, whatever, done in the past. But there's a piece of us that for many of us if not most of us we try to kind of keep away from others and and in a way we wish that it would be gone from us if we could that there's a part of us that we wish oh yep that's and sometimes we'll blame it on mom and dad or if you're married to somebody you're like well looks like your dad's coming out in here right now that's your mom talking right there but it's actually just me and it's like the unfiltered me and it's a part of as a Christian, I'm going to call that sin, Okay, the part of sin coming out in me. All right, And so in that little room, I, I, want to invite, I want to invite thought again for you and your heart toward repentance on this issue, on what in the world is going on in my heart. And here, here's the deal. I think for all of us, we have little parts of our heart, if we'll allow ourselves to go there, even this morning, in which we say, you know what? Is there anything in me that's been acting like the king or acting like the Ninevites? Has there been, been anything in me that is acting a little bit more um, individual and prideful rather than giving and thoughtful? Is there anything in me that, like the king of Nineveh, is um, leaning into my strengths, my abilities, rather than being forthcoming with the people around me and with my God? See, the king of Nineveh had this pride thing going on, and I can relate to that. And so, ultimately, I want to be asking, in this little part of you that many people don't know about, um, is there any uh, pride going on? Is there any gossip going on? Is there any bitterness going on? Is there any sexual temptation going on that is unchecked? Is there any um, anger going on? Is there any uh, selfishness going on? Is there any backbiting that's going on? Is there any unforgiveness that's going on? Uh, Is there any uh, just cheating on the edges of uh, ethics or morality that's going on? Uh, Is there any lack of of uh, passion or heart for God that's going on that's a real coldness that's a real kind of hypocrisy if we could call it that way in which like the things of God don't really thrill me or move me I just show up and come and do things like in those little parts of our hearts that we may not like to talk about are there things like that that maybe are a little more alive than we want them to be and is there anything that perhaps I should do about that in my life so here's what I want to say briefly okay number one When we talk about repentance, there's always hope when we repent. There just is. For for those of us who are needing to particularly repent this morning, this sounds like such a big deal, like repentance, as if this is a massive deal. Repentance needs to be the regular rhythm of Christian life. Just the regular rhythm of Christian life. Is there anything... That needs to be repented of. And first of all, there's hope when we repent. Like for, for many of us, we've been wrestling with something for years and years and years, and we will continue to wrestle with that unless we kind of begin to deal with that. So I just want to lay this out, that if you're dealing with these things, maybe they're tendencies handed down to you from generation upon generation, or maybe they're just personal habits that have been developed in your life that are unchecked, whatever it is. Listen, there's hope when we repent, but there isn't hope when we don't repent. This kind of stuff grows in the dark, but it doesn't grow in the light. And so there is hope for getting through and getting over this when we repent. Now, second of all, I'll say this. The first step toward repentance involves giving something up. Think about the king again. The king took off his royal robes, removed the pride from his life, and said, you know what? It's now or never. I'm going to put on the sackcloth. I'm going to put on the humility. I'm going to put on the fact that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I can't beat this myself. Maybe I have been depending on my reputation. Maybe I have been depending upon my wisdom. Maybe I have not been compassionate. I'm going to put on the humility. I'm going to sit down in the ashes. I'm going to give something up, give up my pride. I'm going to give up the worship of the other gods, of Asher, of Ishtar, of Nabu. I'm going to give up the dependency on other things, and I'm going to give something up. I'm going to give up the habits that are leading me to these negative things in my life. I'm going to give up meeting with these people. I'm going to give up the gossiping circle that I meet with. I'm going to give up the sexual temptation stuff and change my habits on that. I'm going to give up the, the anger that I have. I'm going to give up the, uh, the ethical temptations that I have and what that means. Like I'm going to give up a habit, a practice, a routine in my life. I'm going to give something up. I'm telling you, anytime you give something up, it feels like Death. Whenever you change a habit, whenever you try to work on something in real direction, it actually does feel like death. And this is part of the beauty of the gospel, if I can put it this way, that the gospel message is one of life coming from death. And so repentance is a difficult thing. Like for the king of Nineveh to say, I'm going to give up Nabu, I'm going to give up Ishtar, I'm going to give up Asher, I'm I'm turning to Elohim. Can you imagine the flack that he would get from the people below him? Like this will feel like a death to him. But giving up is going to always feel that way, and therefore we resist it. And we resist the very thing that will actually bring us life, to walk through the pathway into what will feel like death to experience the hope of the gospel. The gospel is a message of life from death. And so unless we're willing to die, we don't experience the life of God. Unless you're willing to die and step into a change and give something up, we're not going to experience, we're not going to meet God and his mercy at the very point in which we need it. This is the reality of what we see in the text. Thirdly, I'll say this. The next step is what the king did, and that is to do something. The king did something. It's very, very interesting the way verse 10 reads. And look at it again with me in your text, if you will. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways... Then he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. It doesn't read when God heard about their interest in changing. When God knew that they were sincere, it actually reads when God saw what they had done. Like This is a visual seeing of a change of behavior. They did something. They changed something. They put on a sackcloth. They set in the ashes. They stopped eating the way they had been used to eating. They did something. You know this is the way it works, right? You know that intentions mean almost nothing unless they lead to a plan, right? Like, Remember when you were dating, or maybe if you're about to be dating now, this might help you, but remember if you're, if you're dating and you're interested in a girl or vice versa, interested in a guy, but I'll speak from the guy's perspective. If you're interested in a girl and you're like, hey, You get the phone number, back in the day they actually used phones to make phone calls. You say, man, I'll call you, and it goes a week later and you don't call, and you see her and you're like, oh, I meant to call you. (laughs) Whatever. I don't care about your intention, you didn't call me. So you could have all the best intentions. It doesn't matter if you don't do something, like make the phone call. All right, man, do something. If you want a diet? You have an intention to lose weight. That's great, a good start. But if you don't do something, who cares? You can you can intend all day long, whatever. And I, I will tell you, if we're honest, these, this little part of our heart, we probably probably have intended to change for a long time. You you have wished was different. About who you are and what you do. And I wish and I would intend it. you know what, in the new year, that's a good time. In the new year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something different in the new year. You know, when things get a little worse, I'm going to. That's that's when, I, that's when I will. I'm just telling you, when God saw what they did, not when he heard what they did, not when he saw the intentions of their heart, but actually when he saw what they did, then he changed. His, then he relented. And so the, the step is then to, to do something. And this is hard, but to do something not just to listen to something but to do something to change a schedule to speak to somebody now let me say this this all means a a repentance okay means not only a turning to god but the most successful repentance also means a turning to someone else a leaning into somebody else for trust and to help you to help me and so let me let me encourage you if i can this morning with the king of nineveh the king of nineveh powerful powerful man trying to represent all kinds of national pride, all kinds of historic generational strength of numbers and of their gods and of their system and all that. The king of Nineveh comes down and he is moved to repentance. And I would argue that he's moved to repentance not just by the judgment that is coming, because that was Jonah's only message. He is actually moved, I believe, by the potential compassion of God. Who knows? God may yet have compassion. If he believed judgment was coming no matter what, why repent? Fight it. But if you think there's a chance that God might. Just be compassionate. It's that kindness of God, as Paul writes in Romans, that draws us to repentance. And so if I can just hold the mirror up, and I'm about to step out of the meddling thing in a minute, okay? If I can just hold the mirror up to all of us, is there anything in your heart that needs to look at this and say, man, I need need some repentance in my life? And I'm drawn not by the judgment and the anger of God, but by the mercy and compassion that can be mine when I step into what will feel like death in order to experience life on the back end. And let me just encourage you. Our God is a gracious and compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. Please don't just intend to make a change. But do something with it. Okay, Now, I'm going to step out, Okay, meddling period over. Look like you're all in relatively good health? That's good. Here's the problem. Our friend Jonah, he saw what happened when this compassionate God gave the king and the nation a second chance, and he responds terribly. So not only is there a question of what do we do when God's compassion outpaces ours, but what do we do when God's mercy outpaces ours? And that is going to be the question for next week as we look at Jonah's terrible response to God's great mercy on the nation of Assyria. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word and our people who continue to need help in every area, no matter how good we get, how old we get, um, how smart we are, or how well put together we appear. We are uh, men and women and young men and women who who are on a journey of life together, who in that process step into things that we just shouldn't be stepping into, and who out of fear... Uh, if not shame and guilt, then continue to try to self-medicate, self-regulate, and self-help our ways out of the problems that we get into. I pray this morning that this model, this message, this truth from our king of Nineveh would remind us of how to do this well, to take off those robes of pride and arrogance, to give up the things that Our fathers and grandfathers and generations before us have believed and whatever have built into us and taught into us. If we lean on those for our identity and our pride, there may be some difficult things that you want us to remove and to give up and to strip away from our hearts that are really just keeping us from your mercy. So, Father, For us this morning, as we react to this, I pray that you would at least give us a moment or two to legitimately ask the question, God, is there anything in my heart that I need to repent of? And then to ask, what do I need to do? Not just what have I heard, but what do I need to do in light of this? And where the next step feels like death, I pray that you would remind us that life in the Christian world always comes from death that God's mercy is what we meet when we go through the death process. So, Father, give us courage and grace to see the life that comes from death. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your favor to us. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your love in our lives. And we pray that you give us courage to do what we know we need to do. And it's in Jesus' name that we'll pray.